Hello and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. All right, this week is a special week. We are going to be kicking off our top 100 games of all time. And last year when we did this, Natasha did some math and she took all that data and then made the board game shenanigans top 100 games of all time, combining our two lists. This year we're doing different. We're going to do individual lists. So last week we did the best games of 23, according to us. And this week we're going to start with uh, start with our top 100. We're going to go 100 to 91. So how did you do this list? I did it through Pub Meeple, put all the games in there, and then you do 9,000 comparisons between the two. Did you do the same thing? or? Yeah, yeah. I took a whole bunch of games that I had played it, pulled it from some some list, my BGG list or something. And then I went through and I like removed a bunch of them that I knew wouldn't be on there. Yeah, me too. And and then I uh, did the, did it all. It put it, it put it into a list. And then as I was looking through it, I realized I had missed a whole bunch of them. So I tried to add as many of them as I can. I'm a little nervous that I have some that I forgot, but mm, that's what happens. Because I did the same thing. I pulled from uh, Board Game Geek, and I do a pretty good job of tracking my plays. The problem is sometimes. I'll play a game at a cottage or something where I have very limited internet connection. Yeah. And because of that, sometimes it doesn't upload and I'm just too lazy to go on there and make sure that the data is correct between what's on my phone and what's on online. But more often than not, the games that I think I usually try to double check. But yeah, sometimes I get worried about that too, that like I've missed something, but what are you going to do? Just not on the list this year. I think that's the thing is thinking about this list Whenever I go through it, like the top 50 are games that are just going to probably be there. And then Mm -hmm. 51 through 100 sees the most amount of movement for me. Yeah. So a game that's 100 this year may not be on the list ever again. You know, it might. And then those things just keep kind of falling off. But you think your list is pretty stable then? The top 50? No, actually, now that I think about it, because I've had a decent amount kind of creep in there. I've had a few games... My top 20 really shifted mm-hmm. a lot more so than I thought it was going to be because I, I, for the th- most part, I thought my top 10 was pretty stable, but turns out not the case. So a lot of, a lot of shifting at the upper ranks. Mine, mine too. I shifted, I shifted quite a bit. Like I had one game in there that I was like really in my top 10 and it's just not even on my 100 anymore. I'm over it. I'm done playing it. What, it, what game fell off the list? Um, Awkward Guest. I played it uh, so yeah, okay. many times that like the puzzles aren't even interesting anymore and I'm kind of over it. Yeah, okay. I'm completely <laughs> over it. Like my son still wants to play it and I'm like, really? Like I just have played it so many times and I loved it. Like we literally played it. I know I had tracked at least 50 plays that first month that we had gotten it or that first few months or something. I don't know. I had I had 50 plays in it at one point. And we've continued playing it since then and I know that I don't do a good job tracking when I play with my son. So I would I would guess that we've easily played it about 80 times. That's a lot. Yeah. It's weird how certain games will be on the list and be one of your favorite games of all time and then all of a sudden as you're doing the list, you're like, "Man, I love this game, but I just haven't played it. I'd rather play these things over that." So mm-hmm. it just it's weird how that list constantly ebbs and flows every every year when you do it. But I think it's good to have a uh, an evolving list like things are going to come and go. And it's really like they can only land on my list if I've been playing them a lot. Like I have a lot of games in here. I have a few games in here that 
I'm like, these should be on my list, but I haven't played them in the last couple of years. Should they even be on my list? You know, so things are going to change like yeah. over time. New things come in and you get sick Ebbs of the and old. flows. Because that's the other thing, too, is if you've ever if you've ever made your list while one day you do it over the course of several days, your opinions start changing about the different mashups that you've done. Because today when I'm doing the list, I might feel differently about these two mashups than tomorrow. It just, it just, for whatever reason, I'm in a different mindset and a different mood to play different things on the next day. So it can, it can affect the list a little bit, but it's a list that ebbs and flows. With that, why don't we get into it? What is your number 100 game of all time? My number 100 game, Bob, I don't even know if you've played this yet. Micro Macro Crime City. I still have it. I have yet to play it, though. Oh, it's just so interesting and sm- like different. It's completely unique than any other game. It's it's, a, it's kind of a stretch to call it a game. It's really an activity, you know. You're trying to solve this crime that's happened, but but just where's Waldo style? So you've got this black and white big giant piece of paper, and then you need to find maybe you need to find the victim. You need to figure out who killed them, and then you have to go through and find all the clues within the pictures. And that's that's the entire game. You're just kind of following this this person, maybe the murderer through time watching them like where they've gone through because the map includes like the entire city over like the course of a random amount of time. So it shows like everywhere they've kind of gone. And so you have to kind of follow them and find them where they go and, and figure out like the crime. And it's really just kind of a fun activity to do. Yeah. It's one of those games that I, you gave me a copy to play a while ago and it just, it keeps getting like pushed off to play Mm -hmm. other things. But what I want to do is just post it on the wall and just have me and Lila go through it. So, Yes, highly recommend putting it on the wall. It won't hurt your back that way. Lila would have a lot of fun with it. You don't need to complete the whole game. You can just do one case at a time. They take about five, ten minutes. So they're a lot of fun. Having it on the wall make it really easy to look at. and Be able to track everything. Yeah, yeah. you don't have to take it out and, and whatnot. It, it is a really cool concept. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that's my number 100 micro macro crime city. All right, my number 100 is a party game that we've talked a lot about. I'm honestly kind of surprised to drop so low, probably because I haven't played it ton, but that is just one. This is one of my favorite party games. You basically are somewhat cooperative in the fact that there's one person who has a card. That card's going to have a bunch of words on it. You pick a number, and let's say number three, the word is movie. Then everyone else has these little easels. They're going to write... Uh, one word clues to try to help you guess what that word is. The twist, as Natasha likes to say, is the fact that if several people have the same word clue, you eliminate that clue. So, for example, in the movie, if Natasha wrote camera and I wrote camera, you don't get those clues anymore. They're, they get eliminated. So you want to be creative enough where people don't duplicate you, but not so creative that it doesn't help the person guess what the clue is. I've Anytime I've ever played this, it's one of those things that I like playing it at higher player counts because I think it's just it's just that much more fun to go around the table with everything like that. Every time I play it, it I've always had a blast with it. This has gone over so well with every group that I've taught it to. It's so much fun and everyone... It's it's funner. It's like it's different groups play it differently too. Like yeah. some people that are super creative, like they all come with really original words, and that's kind of unique and fun. 
And then like, but sometimes you just need somebody to do the obvious clue. Like one person needs to do the super obvious one. So they get the word, but only one person, you, you know, you can't plan out who's going to do it. Yep. So it, it, it's a lot of fun. And the, the best part is when you start playing with a new group or a group you haven't been around, you, you start trying to figure out who's going to be the one that's giving clues and like, how does a person's brain think? After you do a couple of rounds, you're like, okay, I see where this person's going with their clues. Mm-hmm. So it just, it's, yeah, it's a cool game. I really enjoy it. My number 100, just one. All right. My number 99 is Twilight Inscription. This is the roll and write based off of Twilight Imperium. I, I love roll and write and I love me a big, chunky, roll and write. And that's what this is. This is a roll and write with some investment. Like you're going to spend at least an hour playing this game. You're going to spend at least, you know, 10, 20 minutes learning it. Um, it's, it's bright and colorful. It's got the fun markers. It's, it feels big and epic. It's got some really good decisions. You're accomplishing a lot by the end. And I really enjoy this game. I have a lot of fun playing with it. This is the game that unfortunately has dropped off my list. It was one of my favorite games of 22, if I remember correctly, and I just haven't played it. I have, I don't think I played it once in 23. I just, every time you've played it, it's always been with, like, when we're playing games separately, when you're doing your own thing with a group, and, like, it, mm-hmm. so I've just, I haven't gotten it to the table. It's great. I really like it. It's a lot of fun. If you like big, heavy roll and rights, I recommend Twilight Inscription, my number 99. It's, yeah, it's heavy. It's there's a lot going on. All right. My number 99 is a game that Natasha taught me at Origins. I don't I think not this past Origins, but the one before. And that is Battle Line. (gasps) This is a two player tactical card game where you're just basically trying to create different types of poker hands, three card in front of a variety of these little. What do you what are those little things? They're like little like pegs or whatever, but you're you're basically just trying to capture so many flags, we'll say. They're flags, and, yeah. Yeah. So you're playing so you play a card and it's just back and forth. You're playing a card and the the um, you're trying to win more than the, your opponent. You're trying to win five. If you can win five, you will end up winning that game. If you get three in a row, because they're all stacked next to each other, you'll win. So it's just this tactical back and forth kind of game that always makes me always kind of makes me think more than I ever than I thought it would because of me trying to figure out what cards does Natasha have in her hand or what cards you know what can I play that's safe maybe I don't care about this flag all the way at the end because it's a lot harder to get three in a row that's my like throwaway pile that sort of thing that you get some special action cards when do you play those once you play them then that allows the, the your opponent to play a couple before you get to play some again it's an interesting game I I've really enjoyed playing this game I love this game. It's filled with so much tension. It's like, I think it's one of the most like, not maybe the most, but it's one of the most like stressful, aggravating, like uh, your decisions you make are so important and they're so critical, but you don't know what you should be doing. And then you draw a card and and you realize you made the wrong decision. It's so painful. And yeah, I'll talk more about it. Yeah, I bet you will later on. The funny thing is, you have a card in your hand and you're getting ready to play it and you're like, all right, I have a 50-50 decision. Either I can play, like if I play this here or I play this here, depending on what I draw, it's like 50-50. You make a decision and then you draw the card that's on the other 50 that you should have done. You're like, "Mm." (sighs) so frustrating, but fun. My number 99, Battle Line. 
All right, my number 98, we've been playing it a lot lately. It's a really old game, and real simple, called Las Vegas. It's a, a dice rolling game where you roll your dice and you pick one value and you put all of those dice of that value onto one of the cards. And whoever, at the end of the round, whoever has the most dice of that value gets the money on that in that spot. And sometimes there's multiple bills, so then the second place gets gets the other bill, the smaller bill. But the, the, the twist of the game is that anytime somebody's tied, they're removed. So you can, these people can go through and like keep competing for this one really good spot by adding one more dice, one more dice. They spend all their dice on there, end up tied, and you come in with like just one die. So you just put so little effort and sneak in underneath them and steal it from them because they tied. And it's, it's just so much fun. It's a great game to play with people that don't play board games at all because it's just you roll dice, you assign dice to one value. Whoever gets the most money wins the game. Very simple, easy to teach. Um, it can be a little bit like you. I wouldn't say it's mean, but that's the whole the whole heart and soul of the game is that you're reacting to what other people do. So you're trying to get the money from them. Or you're trying to get the money so they don't get it. You need to pay attention to who's winning so you're not letting them get more money. Um, so that's the whole game. It's really short. It's played over just a few rounds. And then whoever has the most money wins. Really simple. Old. It's an old Ravensburg game. It'd be nice if they did a if they did a nice little reprint. Yeah, it's a fun game. Chuck and dice. Just seeing what happens. Like you can lay out the best plan and hope for the best. And even then, sometimes you just roll something randomly that kind of either screws you or your or another person over yeah good game yeah when you're down to one last dice you have to roll it and where it is it goes and it can totally mess you up by making you tie with somebody or or something like that yeah you know it'd be perfect if all play picked it up and redid it because it'd be perfect in their small box line that's like the style of game it is just a small little box the only downfall is you well because how many players does it play like Five, six or something. So it's a lot of dice, yeah. It is a lot of dice. But it'd be even if it was moved into they're not super small like mountain goat size, if you went to the bigger like uh Kabuto Sumo style mm-hmm. games or QE, if, even if you fit it in that, I think that'd be more than enough. The Ravensburger version's just too bulky for what it is. But that's my number eight, Las Vegas. Good pick. My number ninety-eight, it was on my top twenty-three games, and that is Forest Shuffle. Uh, if you really want me to get into a little bit more, listen to the last episode, but this is a, it's a, it's a card game. You're either drawing a couple cards or you're playing some cards. What's cool about this game specifically is you lay down tree cards. And then when you lay down a tree card, you can basically tuck cards either on the left or right or top or bottom of the card. So the rest of the cards all are dual purpose. There's either going to have a top and a bottom or the left and a right. And then based on where you play it, it's going to give you scoring opportunities. The The kind of catch is if you're going to be playing a card, you have to pay for it. You're paying for it with the other cards in your hand. So sometimes you want to make sure you're playing this one specific card, but then you have to give up other things that you kind of want. Sometimes you put them in the middle for people to take and you just kind of hope that it comes back around to you, that nobody wants it. This game t- caught me by surprise when we played it. I, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed our plays of it. It it it's one of those games that I I I like the dual cards. I like creating your own scoring opportunities. It's yeah, it's a solid game. I really like it. My number ninety eight for shuffle. Yeah, it's a nice like pretty meaty small card game is what it is. Yeah, yeah, especially for what it is. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
All right. My number 97 is actually a game I all play. It is a dice game called On Tour. This is a roll and write game where you're rolling di- dice to get a number. So you roll, you end up with, you roll two dice and you get two different numbers there. And then you, like, let's say you roll a three and a four. You would take the number 34 and the number 43. And then you pick one of the locations of the cards you flipped over. There's a U.S. map. You pick one of the locations. There's restrictions for where you can place it. And you just write that number on the map. And then at the end of the game, after you've filled in all of the spots with numbers, you make the longest continuous path from lowest to highest number. Any duplicates, you can include those because you're doing a tour and you're going to those your tour dates. So you have to, all you have to do is make a path of numbers from lowest to highest that you can connect these cities to. There's lines that connect to certain cities, so you can't just connect them all together. That's that's it. Super easy. No big deal. But man, when you were playing it, you were just like, just berating yourself the entire time. Like, and the entire time, everyone is complaining and moaning about what they did, the choices that they made, how they screwed it up, how they're not going to get any points, how this is so awful. And, and every single time I play it, it's it's no different. Every single time, it's always the same. And it is, it's so much fun. Like, it's just, you just, all you have to do is make a continuous path. It's so easy, but it's so hard. Not even in the slightest is it easy. That game, yeah, that game can stress people out. But it's you, so I, I guarantee you, that's not the only game that's going to have that little level of stress on your list. But this game, it, it's a roll and write. It came out in the time where I wasn't like a big fan of all the roll and writes that were coming out. It was like right in the beginning part of things. I think it's a pretty decent game. I've, I had the app for a little while, but I eventually just kind of got bored with it because I played it a decent amount on the app. Yeah, you play it too much. I can see that. Yeah, it's definitely you. You think, oh, this will be easy. You'll get a decent score. But everyone kind of ends up with a low score. Like you don't get a super high score. You know, so once you learn that, if you can get a high score out of it, then yay, there's a lot of satisfaction there. But yeah. most of the time you're not. You're just trying to get something, eke out the win, you know? Yep. I love it. That is my number 97 on tour. All right. My number 97 is going to kick off a series of games by a specific designer. And this was kind of the first one that I think really put him on the map. That is Raiders of the North Sea. And this is the Shem Phillips game. It was one of his very early games in which he was doing something slightly different with worker placement. You had a pool of workers. You would take a worker. You'd put it down, take that action. Then you pull a worker back and take that action. I really liked it as as simple as that sounds. I liked it because it, it involved a lot of choices. And the meeple that you pulled back or that you, you acquired mattered. It's not just a generic meeple. Like each meeple has a specific color and those colors can only go to specific spots on the board. That sort of thing. They're, they're attached to those. So it was one of those games that I really liked. If you play just the base version, I think it can be very welcoming. It can be not super complicated i think the game gets slightly better when you start adding some of the expansion content in it but this was like the first game being able to experience what shem phillips was doing and i yeah i've really i really enjoyed it yeah i only played this one once and i did really enjoy the worker placement part of it where you're you're drafting workers and maybe you're taking that action because you want that specific worker maybe yep. you really want that action so you're taking that worker, and then you got to figure out what to do with that worker next time I like both parts of it. I didn't love the rating part of it, um, but I only played it that one time, so it, it kind of I was learning it. So I, I could play it a couple more times. I could easy see it being on my list. 
Yeah, I think with the expansions, it makes th- it makes things slightly better. There's there's more scoring opportunities and different things. So I think, I think, I think just base game, it's very welcoming, and I think it's a pretty solid game. But I think once you kind of get the expansions in, I think it really starts making it slightly more robust, which I like. But that is my number ninety seven, Raiders of the North Sea. All right, my number ninety six is a kids game actually, but I just love it. I think it's so much fun. And that is Dr. Eureka. So in Dr. Eureka, you get three flasks. They're like, they're actual plastic flasks that hold these marbles. They're like little, they're pretty big marbles. And everyone gets six marbles total, two of each color. So there's two green, two red, and two purple. And so everyone starts off with these six marbles, like two in each flask. And then you flip over a picture of... And it's a picture of three flasks with six marbles in different orientations, I guess. You know, instead of it being like two green, two purple, two red, you might have a purple and a red, a red and a green, and a green and a purple, something like that. Or have like four marbles in one flask, zero in the other, or four. You know, you have them all kinds of different ways that you can put these marbles. And then all you have to do is arrange your marbles so that they look like the picture and then whoever does it first wins they yell eureka and they they win the card whoever has the most cards wins uh the twist is of course that you cannot take the marbles out and pour them in your hand you have to use the flasks to tip the marbles into the other marbles if you drop them you're automatically out so you have to be really careful so you you have to be really quick to solve this puzzle it's a puzzle so you have to figure out like okay if i move this one over here then i can get that one on the bottom and then i can put the other one back on top you have to do that really fast, but you have to do it really careful because you can't spill any of them. But man, is it really, really fun to play. Yeah, we have this game and we've we've played it a decent amount. I think we've played it so much that at this point, I think we can only play it three player because I think we're missing or we might have broken a flask at this point. <laughs> and just it just yeah, because you, you go so quickly trying to like fulfill it. And what we do is when we're playing with like Lila, she gets a little bit of a head start. Uh-huh. So then when we start going or whatever, it's like real panicky. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot there's a lot going on. That's it. That's like that's how we play too. I'll, we play with a handicap. So in our house, when Max started playing it, he could use his hands. Like he was allowed, he got none of the rules of discontinuing if he dropped the marbles. He could like literally pour the marbles out and drop them and using his hands completely not, you know, cheating the game. And Parker, she so she would start, she'd get a head start, and then I would wait. Her and Max would get a head start, they would start. And then I would wait like 10 seconds and then I would start and and then we would, it would kind of be balanced. We'd all win like the same number of games. So it made it a lot of fun. So even though you're going to do a lot better than your kids, you can handicap yourself and make it really fun. We've played it so many times. Like Max and I will sit and play it. He's better now. Like he has to follow the rules now that he's older, but we'll go through, you're supposed to play like, I don't know, seven cards. We'll go through the entire deck of cards and play a game where we have the entire deck of cards. And nice. then we just we just each take our half of cards like and we put them next to each other to see who has the most because we can't even bother to count them. Do you just so have we, to do the like the height check? Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and we just we just whip them out like so fast. And we've gotten so good at it. We're quick too. We could go through the whole deck of cards really fast. I have a lot of fun with that. I'll play it with kids, I'll play it with adults, and I will I will destroy you. I am so good at this game. Challenge has been has been set forth by Natasha. Next time you see her, challenge her to a game of this. I know, and I'll do really bad, probably because I'm used to playing against Max. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't know what good is until you've played it with people who are actually yeah. yeah. It um, 
This is a cool, yeah, it's a cool game. It's about as close to a real time game as I like. It's it's fun. It's a it's a fun fun little game. It is definitely a real time game because you got to yeah. be the first to complete it. All right, that's my number ninety six, Doctor Eureka. All right, my number ninety six is going to be our first crossover, which really I didn't think we'd hit it for a while, but my number ninety six, Las Vegas. Oh, I knew it. That was going to yep. be my guess. Yeah, it uh, I it's just a fun game, chuck and dice. There's not really much more I can add about what Natasha said. It's it's fun. It's chaotic. There's some strategy to it, but not really. Sometimes you just the dice the dice giveth and the dice taketh away. It it just it's a fun game. I've I've enjoyed it. I really think they need to make an updated, cool version. But overall, yeah, I think it's a solid game. Not much more I have to say about it. Number ninety six, Las Vegas. It's the right length for yeah. a completely random dice chucker. Like it's okay if you lose to the dice because you it's quick. Like who cares? It's, it's fast. Fun. Yeah. Well, fun you're to not play with like, kids. You're not taking it seriously. You're just chucking some dice, seeing what happens. Maybe mm-hmm. that one kid steals some things from underneath you, gets one of the notes that you were looking for. No big deal. You just keep playing. It's a it's a fun game. Plus, yeah, I love chucking dice. It's fun to play it with kids. They can attack you and they can have fun stealing it from you. You know, yeah, I highly recommend this game. Yeah. All right. My number 95 is a two-player only game called Japur. It's a little card game where you're trading goods. Um, You can either collect goods from the... You can either take one good from the pile of face-up cards, or you can take as many as you want, but then you have to replace them. Or instead of taking goods, you can take all of the camels and put them out in front of you. And then that way later, when you want to take multiple cards, you can replace those. You can take all of the cards that are out in front of them, out in front of you, but then you replace them with the camels. Or instead of doing that, you can then turn in your goods. You only have seven cards in your hand. Camels don't count, which is nice. You can have seven cards in your hand, so you can take them and turn them in and get the tokens. And you want to wait until you have five cards because if you have three, four, or five, you get one of the three, four, or five tokens and those escalate. Like the, the threes are like two or three points. The fours are like five or six points. But the fives can be like seven to ten points. So if you save up and get five cards, you can get an additional few points out of there, a lot more points. Maybe it's not quite ten. So you want to save up five. However, the points deteriorate in value as people take them. So some of them maybe are the same. So those would be good ones to hold on to and wait. But some of them, like the first one, is really good and they kind of get lower over time in different patterns. So depending on the good, you might want to just go ahead and spend it because you see that your opponent is also collecting those goods. So you're just going to take the one, not get the bonus token because the one token is going to give you a lot of points. And so you've got this balancing act between watching what they're doing. You want to get the most amount of points as you can, but you don't want them to come in underneath you and take it. And you also like don't necessarily want to take all of the camels because then it's going to refill on their turn and then they're going to have first choice of whatever is available. Maybe they're going to get the card that you're going for. It's got a lot going on with this this really simple, small card game, two player only card game. Yeah, it's solid. I've I've learned that I'm not good at it. I've learned that I'm actually pretty bad at it, but I do definitely enjoy that back and forth nature in that card game. It, It does some cool stuff, especially with scoring points or whatever. The, the yeah, timing element is so yeah. interesting. There's a lot of timing. A lot of it, timing. And that's, yeah. that's the heart and soul of this game. And it's super simple. Like, it, it, it feels like a lot of thinking for like a, such a small game, easy to teach, easy to play, 
but a lot of strategy and kind of tension in it. That's my number 95, a little card game called Jipur. All right. So my number 95 is a worker placement game that is also probably one of the more popular welcoming games for people in the genre of worker placement, and that is Stone Age. This is a game where you're taking workers, you're placing them, trying to get goods, you're rolling dice based on the number of workers that you, you know, put down. So, for example, if you want to collect wood and you have three workers, you're going to roll three dice. Uh, you divide whatever number that is by three, and that's how much wood you get. You can acquire tools that help increase die value. You can uh, go to the love hut to make extra workers. You know, you want to make sure you're feeding your people. Otherwise, you're going to be losing points. I think this game is really interesting because not only do you want to build huts with the materials that you're collecting, you also want to make sure you're gathering up these these cards from the display because those are going to give you end game scoring points or end game scoring conditions. It's it's still a game I enjoy. I've been playing it randomly on board game arena from time to time. I still have a physical copy. Yeah, it's just one of those games that sometimes I just want to sit down and play and I still enjoy it. It's such a great interesting worker placement game i like the that you we put your workers out and then you get to roll that many dice based on how many workers you get out and like some people bemoan the dice like your dice isn't very lucky but like you know like okay if i really need two pieces of wood i better put three or four workers out depending if i have any tools and so you you know the average and the odds of what you're, you're gonna get what you need sometimes you might get unlucky but you're gonna make up for it by getting lucky in other situations Yep. It's a it's just this really nice. I like the weight of it. It's it's easy to teach, easy to play, and it's got a lot of strategy, but it's got some fun fun with the luck of the draw. Yeah, this is yep. one of the first games I got into as well early on and I, it still has a special place in my heart as well. Yeah, I really enjoy it still. So, I still I still plan on keeping my copy and playing it, especially teaching new people worker placement. I think this is a solid solid game for it. You could make the argument that Lords of Waterdeep is slightly better, but I think it's just theme dependent. If you are a D&D fan, I think Lords of Waterdeep is the better decision. But overall, I really like Stone Age, which is my number 95. I think Stone Age is more interesting. But... Well, it's the cards. You know, get, getting those cards and making your own scoring stuff again. Yeah. My number 94 is another welcoming game called Aquatica. This is a card game set in underwater theme. And you, you're, you've got a deck of cards that you're playing to do various actions. So some of the actions might be collecting these scoring cards. And they've, it's got this really neat mechanic where you take these cards and you slide them underneath your player board. And they've got special abilities. And as you activate those abilities, you slide the cards up. Once they're fully slid all the way up, fully activated, then you can take them and flip them for scoring. Each game is going to have different ways different um, opportunities for scoring on top of those cards that you're going to get so each game is going to play very different depending on what you're kind of trying to achieve with those scoring opportunities but overall it's a really beautiful game with really beautiful artwork it's quick it's about 45 minutes it's got a lot of decisions all of those cards that you're tucking are unique they do different abilities and they kind of you're going to play the game very differently depending on those four scoring objectives that um ultimately and uh, trigger the end of the game once somebody completes all four of those that'll trigger the end of the game so it, it ends up being pretty quick because everyone's kind of going for those it's a really nice lovely beautiful um fairly easy to learn but but has got some interesting decisions and choices and, and unique mechanics in it 
I like the combos that you can make in this game because sliding sometimes sliding a card up is a thing you can just do, you know. So you can say, all right, I'm going to play this card, which is going to give me this that will allow me to. So I'm going to slide this up, which then will add turn this thing on and do all these things. So you get these like little mini combos with the yeah. cards and just the like the act of sliding them up into position. And again, like you said, you can't score them unless they're completely you know slid into your player board. So you have to. You have to do that, and then you have to play a card to score. So mm-hmm. it's just how do you efficiently move these things up to have a good scoring, you know, to so when you play uh, or when you activate a power to score cards or play a card to score cards, you know, then you can start actually moving these these things into the scoring piles and stuff. Yeah, I like it. It's a it's a solid game for sure. It, I agree. You, it's definitely all about making those combos so that you can do that quickly because you need to do it really quick. You can't sit there and set up your in, spend the whole game setting up your engine. You've got to start right away moving because the game is going to end a lot quicker than what you think it is. And I, I think that really kind of makes the game nice and snappy and doesn't overstay its welcome. That is my number 94, Aquatica. My number 94 is uh, a welcoming game by Queen Games, and that's Alhambra. And this is a game where on your turn, you're basically going to be acquiring some money cards. You're either going to be buying some tiles or you're going to be placing the tiles. The kind of catches you can com- combo into additional actions if you can buy the tiles for the exact price. So every tile is going to have a specific number on it. And then you pay based on what that number is. So, for example, if there's a green tile in the orange spot, it's orange money. If it's a five on it. If you pay for five, you get that tile, but then you can take another action. And that other action could be buying another tile and doing the same thing or, you know, taking the money or rearranging your Alhambra, that sort of thing. So it gives you these additional actions when you're able to pay for tiles for the exact amount. I really like it. It involves simple card, simple rules, you know, draw some money cards, buy a tile, rearrange. You know, you're not necessarily doing a ton of different actions, but it, it's it's cool to you know, when, uh, with that timing in a minute, when are you going to be taking money cards? When are you going to start buying tiles? There's three scoring opportunities throughout the course of the, the game. And whoever has the most of specific tiles are going to be scoring the most amount of points. So you want to make sure you're keeping track of who has how many of what, that way you can make sure you're getting some scoring in. I really like this game. It it's fallen, I think for me into the nineties, just cause I don't play it that often anymore, but I still really like this game. Yeah, it's really, really good. It's a great welcoming game. I agree. I can tell why it's fallen, and I think that's because it's kind of dated at this point. It doesn't look very nice, and and that's too bad. I wish they'd do a nice reprint of this that kind of brings yeah. it into the modern world and makes it pretty to play because I think it could have a uh, a new movement, I guess, with new people coming to the hobby. It's, it's, such, a, it's such a fun game to play. You know, you can play it with people that don't play a lot of board games, but we can also play it amongst ourselves and still enjoy it and have a great time. That is my number 94, Alhambra. All right. My number 93 is Elysium. Again, this one's a little bit dated. I played it recently and I was like, it's feeling its weight. It's feeling its date. So I don't know how much longer this will be in my top 100, but I still really like it. It is a set collection game, card game. You've got all these cards that you can play. You pick five of them. So you've got like a, maybe a blue deck, a, a yellow deck, a green deck, whatever, all these different colors. They're different gods. 
and each, you know, each color represents a different God. And then you take that whole deck, mix it together. You've got some cards out in front of you. It's got some really great drafting. So you're going to draft three of the cards. And then one thing that you're going to draft is the turn order and also determines like how many cards that you can move down into your Elysium and how much money you're going to get. Um, so you draft over four rounds. You can either take the cards first or this turn order first. The way that you're paying for the cards is with these tokens. And that's really interesting and unique. I, it's, it's even too difficult to describe, but essentially you've got, I'm not going to describe it, but it's really interesting. I like the drafting a lot. You get these cards, they go out in front of you. They've got all these special abilities, but they won't score if they're out in front of you when they have their special abilities. They'll only score once you bring them down into your Elysium. But once you bring them down to your Elysium, they no longer have these special abilities. So it's got this really nice timing element of, okay, I want this card because I want the special ability. So I just leave the special ability up here and not even ever move it to my Elysium to score it. You know, maybe I'll take this card because I really want to move this one to my Elysium. I don't care about the special abilities. And some of them don't score your special abilities. So you can go ahead and just get those down right away. So it's got all these different things going on. Each of the different decks have kind of focused on different things. Like one of them focuses heavy on money. One of them focuses heavy on like attacking other opponents. There's every, every card is different. And I've been really surprised that there hasn't been any expansions because you could easy add more decks to these to mix into them. I wonder if it's just not that popular. Yeah. Which I mean, the game, the game was pretty decent. It's not in my top 100. But when I played it, I enjoyed it. But I do think I agree that it does somewhat feel old-ish, which sounds weird because it's not that old of a game, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But if, yeah, I think so much has changed and evolved with games in the last yeah. 10 years that even something 10 years old feel can feel really dated. Yeah. And some games that are 10 years old or 20 years old don't. It's weird. Yeah. Still worth picking up like and checking out if you find a used copy of it somewhere. I think it's really good. I really like it. It's kind of got a roaming mechanic where you can make these sets or run, runs. It's fairly quick. I feel like it takes about 45 minutes to an hour with four-player game. It's really only good at four players. You there you can play it at less player count, but you don't get the cards that as many cards that come out. So you end up not being able to get cards that you want because there's not as many out there available. So it's really you really need four players. I recommend that only. That is my number 93, Elysium. All right. My number 93 is going to be one of probably several games that come from the Italian design group, and that is Golem by Cranio Creations. So this is an interesting game because it kind of uh, takes the action economy from Grand Austria Hotel, except instead of rolling dice, you're taking these marbles and you're kind of putting them down this little chute. And based on the marbles being in different action spots, is how powerful that action is. There's going to be the marbles are going to have different colors. And depending on which colors you draft, it'll be able to give you access to a special action at the end of each round. One of the things you're doing is you're moving both your golems and your students across these different tracks. At the end of the round, you need to make sure your students are further ahead than your golems or the golems are going to riot and do bad things. You can basically retire your golems to get special points. There's a ton of different ways to score points. There's a lot of different things going on your player board. I really enjoy this game, and I think it would be higher up if I played it more often. The problem is it is a pain to teach. There's just a lot of little things going on. I don't want to necessarily call the game specifically fiddly because I don't know if the game qualifies as fiddly. There's just a lot of things going on. 
but I I really enjoyed it. A lot of stuff that this, these designers are coming out with, I I really enjoy. So this is one of them. Yeah, I really like this game. It's really really good. I'll I'll, I'll talk about it later. Yeah, I imagine it's gonna be higher up on your list. But my number ninety three, Golem. All right, my number ninety two is a game Bob does not like. This will one hundred percent not be on your list because it is a logic puzzle, and that is Alchemist. Alchemist is about as heavy as you can get. It is a very heavy worker placement with a logic deduction puzzle to it where you're trying to figure out which potions go with each element. Man, is it is it heavy. Like when I walk away from this game, my brain hurts. I am tired. I'm exhausted. I really, really love this game. It's just that it's so heavy. Um, and and it, the, I love the deduction part of it. The worker placement I think is completely fine, but it's almost just too heavy for me, a little bit too tight. Um, and I think I really liked it with the expansion because you end up getting a lot more early on. And so it doesn't feel quite as tight and punishing. Um, it's just that it's so heavy. I just don't get it to the played very much, but I love the deduction part of it. I've been hoping since I played it that a new version would come out and I'm surprised it hasn't where this would be like um, not necessarily a, a version of this game, but a this is like Alchemist, but way lighter, like with the same mm. logic deduction, but without the heavy worker placement part of it. I think you're going to be waiting around for that game for a while. Yeah, it hasn't happened. Again, with Elysium, yeah. I'm like, I thought this would happen, but it hasn't. I really like this game, but I just don't play it very much anymore. Otherwise, it'd be much higher. It is not on my list. It didn't even yeah. make the cut to get into the... No, you know, rate. <laughs> it's it's not not a game for me. Yeah, I knew that. It's still a great game. Don't listen to Bob. My number ninety two, Alchemist. But if you are into super heavy games or don't like heavy logic buns, I don't think this would be worth it. But if you like super heavy tight games, you probably would love Alchemist. Yeah, I I think you would agree. All right, I uh my number ninety two game is a kids game. And that is Rhino Hero Super Battle. I'm a little disappointed that I've rated it down to an, in the 90s because of how much I've enjoyed this game. But I think a lot of times now as my as my daughter has grown up, we're moving away from less, you know, dexterity driven games and moving into more more games that involve like some new decisions and that sort of thing. We're starting to get her into playing the normal versions of games instead of some of the kid game. But I still like this. And honestly, I'd play it with adults because I think it's it could be considered a party game if you really wanted it to. You're just you're taking pieces of, you know, like uh, when you're building a car, uh, a castle out of, let's say, playing cards. Same sort of thing. You got a bunch of playing cards and you're just building a structure. And if it gets knocked down, whoever is on top of the structure wins. Unless the person who knocked it down was that person that's on top. And then it goes to the next person. It's just a fun, cool dexterity game where you're just building stuff. The structure ends up looking cool after everything's all said and done. I I really enjoy this game. Yeah, I have a lot of fun with this game, too. Max loves to play it. Um, drives me nuts. I think it would be a lot of fun with adults to play it just as much. I do like the super battle even more because you can get it really big. Max yep. likes to go straight up and tall as fast as he can. And I like to make a nice sturdy base to see how like big we can get the whole thing. So he kind of drives me nuts. But it's still fun. We've played it over and over multiple times. But he stresses me out, so it does not hit my list because he just because of the stress. I yes. don't know. I love I love this game. So my number ninety two, Rhino Hero Super Battle. All right, 
My number 91 is a tile laying game, and that is Garden Bow. This one kind of surprised me because I thought it would be a nice, light, easy, breezy tile laying game. I love the artwork. It's got this vintage flowers look to it, which I absolutely love. That's what drew me into it. But it ended up being a lot more crunchier than what I thought it was going to be. You you draft these scoring tiles, and then you move around the board to collect seedlings. Once you've got a couple seedlings next to each other, then you can purchase the plants that go over top of it. And once you've got four plants in a specific pattern that those flowers that you've drafted earlier require, then you can put those flowers on top and those flowers will score you points at the end of the game. And then the flowers are going to score you points very differently. They might score you points based on seedlings that you can see, based on other plants that you can see, and based on other flowers that maybe are adjacent or not adjacent to it. So it's got all these different ways to score. And you're like, okay, this is easy. I just got to like set this up to look like this. But then it ends up being a lot more puzzly than what you think. And I think it's really Mm -hmm. interesting. And I I really like this game. The I wanted the main central board to have more to it than it did. It's not bad, but because it's uh, that kind of rondelle mechanic, I was really looking forward to having more impactful decisions on that main board, which isn't that bad. I think the main focus of this game is that puzzle of playing those tiles to try to stack them up and get the different things. That's where this game really shines. I think the the main central board where you're gathering tiles is it's fine. It serves its function but I don't think it's necessarily too interesting. It's the puzzle of putting the pieces together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The rondelle is just a way to play the game. Whatever. It's not part yep. of it's not the heart and soul of the game, as we would say. As as Natasha would like to say. Not the heart and soul. <laughs> that is my number ninety one garden bow. All right, to round up this list to round off this list, my number ninety one is a game called Gugon by Game Brewer. This game actually took me by surprise the first time we had a chance to play it. It's an interesting game because you have a set of cards and they're basically like gifts. And when you go to these different spots, you're able to exchange gifts. But ultimately, you want to like you want to increase the value of your gift. But at the same time, like if you give a gift that's less valuable than what you get, then, you know, it you there's some penalties towards that or whatever. I don't know. It just I've. For whatever reason, I it, I find it really interesting going to these different spots and making that exchange and trying to build up, you know, a hand of cards that gives you things to do. I like I said, this game is kind of, kind of took me by surprise, and yeah, I really enjoy it. I like that that shifting cards to try to find things. Sometimes somebody's going to take a card you want, and that you know you're you're building routes on the board. You're going to these different spots to try to yeah. It just all it kind of all t- kind of comes together in a nice package for me. I forgot about this game. This game is really interesting and unique. I struggled to play it, like to do well with it. So it did not even register as a game that I like. I'd have to play it quite a few more times. But I think if I played it and got good at it, I could enjoy it. I think the card play is really interesting. Yeah, I think it's I think it's cool. It almost reminds me in a lot of ways, like the Raiders of the North Sea. You put a meeple down, you take a meeple back. You know, you're making these gift exchanges and stuff. Yeah, I just yeah, it just something about it it kind of just all comes together in a really nice way for me yeah that's a great game all right my number 91 goo gone all right well thanks for listening to our shenanigans join us next week where we're gonna do 81 to 90 
And then help us out by giving us a review or liking us on Instagram or Facebook and send any comments or questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.